stumble in there or is that good enough no it's pretty good buddy perfect awesome well guys first of all welcome to this third line plug is war edition of the third line plug sensecast i am your host taylor gibson and losing my ass off is tim jensey well this is a very special occasion that we get to do third line plug is war tim because when was the last time we did it i think it was the first episode of this season yeah it's kind of insane we haven't talked Spoken about a certain uh, 316 in a while. I know. Well, or in this guy's case, 416. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. So now that we've got that awesome opening out of the way, let's get right into the episode. Today's episode for Third Line Plugins War is Season 2, Episode 18, in chronological order. Episode 46, the Patrick Weirkosh episode. So, do you have any memories of Patrick Weirkosh, Tim? Patrick Weirkosh is one of those guys that... Anytime he touched the ice in Ottawa, it seemed to be pretty good. And we always kind of wanted to see him get more time. And then he did. And he pl- he did played with it pretty well. And then he fell off a cliff. And nobody knows why. And that's about it, really. Yeah, but I mean, you could almost talk about that with a number of defensemen that we've had over the years that was good for a little while and then completely fell off a cliff. Yeah. I don't really know what happened with Weirkart. Because like, he, he even was playing with Team Canada during the World Cup after the 2015 playoffs if I remember correctly and yeah and then he just kind of fell off a cliff it was kind of weird yeah so for next week being season two episode 19 in chronological order episode 47 we will not be having a poll because the automatic winner is andre benoit Ooh, real hard hitter i know but you know i would ask about andre benoit but we'll save that for next week tim Hmm. Yeah. Now that we've got that out of the way, how has your week been, sir? Because I've noticed that you've been posted a couple of blog posts on your blog this week, Tim. Yeah, it's really cold, so I haven't been going outside, so I've been writing more, I guess. So uh, <clears throat> we've actually had a pretty interest, pretty interesting week because uh, the, com- the company that runs the card game did uh, a big announcement stream on, I think it was Tuesday night, and they released some cool shit. But they also drop really dropped the ball. In which way? There was a set that was supposed to be only only released in English, and then Japan's like, "Oh yeah, we're getting it too," and that pissed off a lot of English players, and that's probably going to cost a lot of stores a lot of money. Really, was it only supposed to be in English or only in Japanese? It was supposed to be only in English, and you could play it with play it against Japanese people, Japanese cards, and sanctioned sanctioned tournaments. Okay. And then Japan just the Japanese like the companies like law were releasing it for japan too like two like a few days before uh the english version came out so what seems to be happening is uh car- a lot of card stores are saying that they've just seen pre-orders drop 
Really? Because a lot of people feel like they've been kind of screwed, right? Okay. Because yeah, I like, can kind of see that. Yeah, and I don't even blame the English arm of the company because they were doing something cool. They thought that that was the way it was going to go, and then the Japanese legs just like, <laughs> jokes. We're going to release it on our own. It's going to be completely different, and uh, the English and the Japanese version can't interact at all. Hmm, okay. It's it's really shitty, honestly. Now, given that I'm not a player of this game, and you were talking about how shitty that is, I mean, I don't know. I don't know why that company would do that, Tim, to be perfectly honest with you. Well, what's interesting is, I think the original economic calculus is that the set was based off of the show. Do you remember Card Captors at all? Card Captors? Yeah, it was an anime that used to air on Teletoon. Not really, no. I never really watched any of the animes that were on Teletoon back in the day. Okay, so I guess Bushiroad thought, the company that makes the game thought it was far more popular in North America than it was in Japan. So they gave a North, so it became an English exclusive, and then it turned out they were wrong, and it was, I guess Japanese players were a little jealous or something, so they ended up getting the set too. Okay. What's kind of dumb is that they could have just made the sets identical and made the English version an early release. Mm-hmm. Or the Japanese players could have done what we've been doing for years and just play with translations. Okay, so it's kind of like, say, some of the JRPGs that come over from Japan. They come to North America and players here translate what the text is saying, kind of like that. Somewhat, yeah. But, uh, like, what, why this is a big deal is that you had, it was like, oh, cool, we're going to get English sets that we won't have to do that. Like, we can play in, like, the the global competitions against Japanese players with English decks. Because uh, another thing is, like, the English game and the Japanese game are different. Because uh, uh, the Japanese game has a ban list, while the English game erratas. So they'll instead of banning cards, they'll change what they say. So there have been cards that have been, like, retardedly good in Japan that are just either good or meh in North America because before they got released in the English version, they changed the text. Hmm. But the fact that we are getting an English set that was going to be standard for Japanese play was huge and still be legal in English. Like, that was going to be really big, but now it seems that, no, that's not the case. So people feel like they've been muted and switched. Okay. Now, are you going to be doing a blog post on it, or have you already done one on it? We've kind of done our reaction. We've done a blog post on the reactions to those announcements. Okay. Uh, I think there's been some clarification since then, and uh, we'll see if more comes out before we before I write anything. Ah, okay. Because this is kind of still something in motion. So who knows if it changes or not. Yeah, because... Now you're saying you only get the reaction, and if Japanese players are pissed off that only English are getting it, and now the Japanese are getting it, so you're just sort of trying to wait on it because you don't know what's going to happen next, correct? Yeah, who knows? Well, I would assume that the Japanese are still getting their set, and we don't. If this is how it ends, this is, could be very well how it ends because the Japanese are Japanese companies are very generally quite. This may be changing now that well. Like companies like Netflix and stuff are throwing a big pile of money at the Japanese companies, but they generally could give two shits about their English fans, and uh, they don't go out of their way to make it easy for fans outside of Japan to engage with content. Okay. Outside of that, week has been good so far for you? Yeah. Uh, it was really cold, so I just stayed home. I couldn't work from home, so I did. Crazy. How has that whole thing about you working at home going for you, Tim? I thought at first it was going to be hard for me to get work done, but I feel like I'm at least as productive here as I am in the office, so it's just going to be, if it's cold, I'm not going to bother going outside. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, if it's cold, it's just like, oh, I don't feel like going out today. Yeah, pretty much, and I have the option to do that, so I'll do it. Awesome. So I'll talk a little bit about my week, because... It's been a pretty standard week overall. I mean, we had some stuff going out of the field house, so I had to deal with that. We had a couple of theme dinner, sort of festive stuff that we had to do. So we had to deal with that. And at the moment, I'm just looking outside. It's snowing like a son of a bitch. And I really don't know how to react to this because 
Duncan and Bank of Ireland doesn't really get a lot of snow. No, and they don't really deal with snow either. No, so it's weird. Is what it is. Yeah, because I'm supposed to go to Vancouver tomorrow to watch Eric Carlson play the Canucks, and I'm not even sure if that's now going to happen. Oh, do you think the ferry, you're not going to be able to drive, or the ferries are going to be I'm shut? not even sure if I'm going to be able to drive in the snow, because I don't know when it's going to stop. Apparently, it's not, not supposed to stop tomorrow. It's supposed to continue. So, if but, it continues, I mean, it's going to be shitty that I won't be able to watch Eric Carlson play. But in fairness... You didn't get the chance to see Eric Carlson this week, and you went to the game. Yeah, fair enough. And that was a little sad, but it was still a really good game. Do you have winter tires at all? or? Yes, I do. Okay, then the metal hatch should be open as long as you have chains. Yeah, but, I mean, you know, I, th- I think my dad was just like, yeah, I don't really want to drive in this shit if I don't have to. And I was like, fair enough. Fair. Yeah. So let's go into talk about last week's episode, because overall, I thought that the energy on my end was pretty good. And I don't know about you, but it just kind of seemed like the energy wasn't there on your end. You were trying to grind through it and get through it, but I could just kind of tell at points you were just like, yeah, okay. Yeah, it was just, it was kind of a weird episode. Yeah, it wasn't a bad episode or anything, but, you know, I could just tell that both of our energy levels weren't really there. No. Yeah, I'll have to listen back to it and see kind of where it went off. Yeah, there's no real one point, but there was one point in the episode where I'm listening to it when I was editing where I can hear you yawning, and I was just like, okay, maybe, you know, Tim had a long day or whatever, and, you know, because obviously you go to work before you do the episode, so (laughs) unlike myself where I'm off, so I don't really have that option. Yeah. I don't know. It is what it is. Yeah, it is what it is. So, Tim, do you know what time it is, buddy? Ooh, I feel something a bit more powerful than usual. Now, because this is a special episode of the Third Line Plug Sensecast, we are not going to segue into this little segment called Top of the Hour. We are going to go headfirst into the war zone. Welcome to the War Zone! Taylor Gibson, Tim the King Jensen, once again joining from Center Rights for this edition of the War Zone. Now we've got a lot of stories to talk about, Tim, so let's not waste any time. Let's get right into it. Detroit Red Wings GM Ken Holland became the all-time winningest GM in Red Wings history with his 914th win passing Jack Adams. Holland, who previously served as Director of Amateur Scouting and Assistant GM, was promoted to GM in July 1997. Ed would go on to an impressive run, which included 10 division titles, five regular season conference titles, four President's Trophies, and three Stanley Cups in 1998, 2002, and 2008. It's kind of ridiculous when you get to a point where you have more wins than a guy who has a trophy named after him. True. But, I mean, you look at the <clears throat> excuse me, you look at the roster that he was able to build, right? I mean, look at that 2002 team where you had Iserman, Shanahan, Fedorov, Lidstrom, Larionov, Hasek... Robitaille, Duchesne, I mean, Brad Hall, you had all these Hall of Famers playing for that team. Yeah, like it was an incredible, like it's an incredible career that Ken Holland has really put together. And the fact that he's better than the guys, the guys who have trophies named after them is really something. Absolutely, man. You know, it's crazy. And I was looking through this because just looking at this whole thing for top of the hour and you get to... You get a sense of all the stuff he's accomplished, and yet you look at what happened to the Red Wings nowadays, and his popularity is not no longer there in Detroit. 
Yeah, but it was going to happen. And I think some of that is uh, that old Illich-style loyalty that's probably rubbed off on Ken Holland. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Like, I'm not sure if it's going to... I don't know if he'll be able to keep on and swing it around or if uh, there's just a lot of mediocrity in the tank to gum. Like, it's hard to say, but no matter no matter how you slice it, the dude's had... Like, he has put together a, probably one of the strongest hockey teams ever. Absolutely. And I, you know what? I'm really glad that I started Top of the Hour, or in this case, the War Zone, off of this story because we've got two deaths to talk about. Mm-hmm. Former New York Ranger and Boston Bruins winger Andy Heberton passed away at age 89. Heberton played nine seasons, recording 189 goals, 202 assists for 391 points in a record 630 consecutive games. The record of 630 consecutive games was later broken by Gary Unger with 634, which was later broken by Doug Jarvis with 800. 800? That's almost 10 seasons. That was 10 seasons, exactly. Oh, right, they used to only play 80. Yep. That's nuts. But still, even like 634 is like 8 seasons. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's crazy, man. When I was looking at that, going... Wow, like, I really had no idea that the all-time record was that high. That's like some Cal Ripon Jr. sort of stuff right there. Yeah, no kidding. And then uh, the guy lived to be 89 as well, which is about 10 years longer than the average life expectancy for people born in that year. So, born in the year he was in. So, he had some Iron Man going in his general life as well. Absolutely. Not to be outdone, though, former NHLer Andre Boudreau, Passed away at age 75. Boudreaux played 12 seasons in the NHL, scoring 151 goals, 340 assists for 491 points in 662 games for Montreal, Minnesota, Chicago, St. Louis, and the expansion Vancouver Canucks, as well as stints in the CHL and WHA. He later became one of hockey's most respected scouts with the Montreal Canadiens, winning two Stanley Cups in 1986 and 1993. And later joined the New Jersey Devils in 1994, where he would go on to win three more cups in 1995, 2000, and 2003. Well, just think of some of the players he scouted. Like, he probably found Waugh. Yep, found Waugh, Niedermeyer, Brodeur. Oh, Jesus. Uh... Yeah, I mean, throw a dart at any of those teams of who he probably scouted and found. It was like, hey, you know, maybe we should draft this guy. Yeah, like, that's incredible. And also to be able to be a scout for over 20 years is definitely nothing worth sniffing at either. No, like, absolutely not, man. And it's actually funny because I was when I was reading up on this guy is that not only was he a respected scout, he was actually a very well-respected and well-liked player with the Vancouver Canucks too, serving as captain. Oh, nice. Yeah, he was actually, from what I understand, he was one of their very first offensive stars in Vancouver. Oh, wow. That's really cool. Absolutely, man. So let's head on to our next story. Former NHLer and current Minnesota Wild assistant GM Tom Curvers has been diagnosed with lung cancer. Curvers stated he's ready to fight this battle head on. Yeah, and best of luck to him. Yeah. So the reason why I'm throwing this story in here, not just because it's sad to hear that he has cancer, but because he was involved in one of the most lopsided trades in NHL history. Good side or bad? He was on the bad side. Uh Uh-huh. So you remember how we were talking about Andre Boudreaux and the New Jersey Devils in our last story? Oh, so this is related. Yep, it's sort of related because 1991 draft... The Toronto Maple Leafs had the third overall pick traded to the New Jersey Devils for Tom Curvers. And the player New Jersey wanted to draft in that, and I mention it in that story, Scott Niedemeyer. Wow. That's absurd. I know. See? And we all laughed when the Toronto Maple Leafs traded the second overall pick for Phil Kessel. Yeah, I know. It's in their blood. Yep. Tampa Bay Lightning took to the ice during their game versus the St. Louis Blues in their brand new third jersey unannounced. The all-black jersey was met with a negative reaction on social media. I didn't see this thing. Is it Uggo? 
Yeah, it's not very nice. It's just a black jersey with white outlining. That's all it is. I'm going to Google this thing. Yeah, go for it, buddy. While you're doing that, I'm going to actually quickly Google the Tom Curvers thing just so I don't want anybody... Okay, who am I lying? Who am I kidding? It's going to be Adam. It probably corrects me on this. Yeah. Yeah, Tom Curvers. Let's have a look. See? Oh, yeah. It's just kind of ho-hum. Yeah, it's just sort of there. You you know what it kind of looks like? What? It looks like a workout shirt. It does look like a workout shirt. That's just really lazy. It is. At least that third jersey from, like, the late 90s, as ugly as that thing may have been, at least you can show that some effort went into it. Oh, the one with, like, the waves and lightning bolts on it? Yes. That, like, a cat got to it? Yep. Yeah, so I had a look here on Tom Kerber's Wikipedia page. It says he played two full seasons and one game in the 1989-90 season with the Devils before being traded to the Toronto Maple Leafs for the pick ultimately used to draft Scott Niedemeyer. Well yeah, bad for the guy. Absolutely. So speaking of the Leafs, Tim, it's time to head on to our next story. Now, before we do that, Tim, Tim, if you want to get me to go on to this next story, give me a hell yeah. Hell yeah. Come on, Tim. You knew that once this episode was going to happen, I was breaking this out. Okay, I'm just going to turn that down. Well, let's talk about the biggest signing of the week. Toronto Maple Leafs have re-signed forward Austin Matthews to a five-year, $58.17 million contract with an AAV 11.64. Matthews recorded 23 goals, 23 assists for 46 points in 38 games at the time of the signing. Now, I'm just going to start off by saying, Smuck fuck Dubas. Man, I don't know what the hell's going on in Toronto, but this is a steal for him. Yeah, no kidding. Like, I thought he was going to get McDavid money. That's what I said, too. I was like, you know what? He could have gone into Smug fuck Dubas's office and said, I want $100 million over eight years, and he would have been like, sold! Yeah. But no, it's like, the fact that Dubas has been able to negotiate really team a lot of really team friendly contracts is really impressive like he mu- he must have some dirt on these agents yeah well you because, know i guess it, it's what happens when he has such a punchable face though maybe yeah i don't know his nickname smug fuck dubis <laughs> i'm trademarking that i'll give him that yep yeah he just has that look of like a real smugness to him that i don't like well, I mean, he's done a lot in not a lot of time, so he's yeah. kind of earned it. Smug fucker. Let's go on to their next story. Toronto Maple Leafs forward Mitch Marner spouted a young boy in the crowd during warmest prior to their game versus Anaheim with a sign that read, Mitch, I beat cancer. In response, Marner signed a stick and threw it over the glass to the young fan. Now, isn't that hilarious? Like, last week, we were talking a story about Mitch Marner donating money to that that uh, girls hockey team and now this is happening i gotta say man i'm really really respecting mitch marner for some of the things he's doing yeah he's just he seems to be really in tune to the community Mm -hmm. hopefully out of town yeah hopefully they don't run him out of town i mean but i guess you know after signing matthews and all the money they got tied up with Tavares, it's gonna be tough to sign him but you know you just know smug fuck dubas he's gonna do something that's gonna get him on a team-friendly contract yeah, or, or he'll find a way to get rid of uh, Patrick Marlowe. Or that. A peewee game involving the Simcoe Warriors and the Paris Wolfpack made news after an argument after the game quickly turned into a brawl that involved 30 parents, according to local police. The crowd has dispersed by the time officers arrived and no injuries were reported. President of Simcoe and District Commander Hockey Association Martin Jefferson stated it's, an un- it's his understanding the disagreement never came to blows. Wait, wait, wait. 30 parents start beating the crap out of each other? No, it was, just, it was a massive argument, but it never came to blows. Oh, come on, you wrote Brawl. I thought it was just like a bunch of like, like 40-year-old women with bobs and dads who have let themselves go a little too much, just like suplexing each other. You made that sound a lot cooler than it was. Did I really? Yeah, I used the word Brawl. That has a very obvious connotation of just 
like, yeah, parents brawl. Like, that's like a bunch of old fucks beating each other up. Okay, not old fucks, but like middle-aged people. Well, that's you know, I mean, granted, this is the third My Plug is War episode, so it wouldn't surprise me if I did that. Yeah. That sounds a lot cooler than you, it's a lot cooler than you made it sound. I Trades, know, let's... I know, I know. Although yeah, if someone did throw their... Jesus. If someone did throw their Timmies, that'd be, that'd be even funnier. Oh yeah, I could just imagine a bunch of like middle-aged guys in their Under Armour jackets hacking darts next to their lift-kitted trucks talking about how they were so great when they were kids. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. The trailer for the biopic on former NHL goalie Terry Sawcheck was released. Entitled Goalie, the film will cover Sawcheck's entire life from growing up in Winnipeg to his legendary 21-season career with Detroit, Boston, Toronto, L.A., and the New York Rangers. So I actually, it's funny because I was saying this to one of my coworkers when I was talking about this. I said, you know, because in the trailer it depicts him as an angry alcoholic. And I said, I don't know if he's an angry alcoholic because he's a goalie or he's a goalie because he's an angry alcoholic. It's probably both. Yeah, probably. Although, what happens first, becoming a goalie or drinking alcohol? What if both happens at the same time? Well, I guess it is Winnipeg. That's true. You know, you gotta pass the time somehow in Winnipeg. Yeah. I heard it's a lot better now. In Winnipeg? Yeah. Like, the city's changed a lot over the last 20 years. Yeah. That's true. I mean, granted, we had mentioned that last week on the episode. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it's a place to visit one of these days. Maybe. Maybe we'll have to go there and watch a hockey game or something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I actually did get a chance to watch that trailer, and it does look pretty good. And it's one of those things because hockey movies have a tendency to not be great. And so when I see a trailer like this, it's just like, that actually looks kind of intriguing. I will watch Slapshot another time, thank you. I have never watched Slapshot in my life, Tim. Actually, I've never watched it either, but I've have heard it's Have you ever seen Youngblood? Nope. Goon? It's a goon. The Mighty Ducks? Uh, the first two? There's three of them. Yeah, I saw the first two. Yeah. The third one's not that great. I wouldn't expect it to be. No. I mean, granted, I don't expect any of those sequels to be good, but... You know, until Hollywood decides to pick up my reboot from the Mighty Ducks, where Charlie Conway is Gordon Bombay and Bombay is Hans. And Bombay is Hans. It could work. Anyway, let's go on to our next story. They'll call you. I know. Maybe I can write up that screenplay and I can get rich off of it. Swedish sports blog, sportsblogger.com, reported that Vancouver Canucks prospect Jonathan Dolan bought his hometown team, Timra, of the Swedish Hockey League. It was later reported that there was a translation issue as Dolan is part of the team's ownership group, not sole or even majority owner. So he bought part of the team. Yes. That's kind of cool. I know. It kind of sucks, eh? Like, if we hadn't traded him away, we could have had nice things to say about it. But, you know, we still have nice things to say, but he's not a sense prospect anymore. No, and it's it's actually not clear if he's even how where he is in the Vancouver system anymore. No. All I know is that he's in the minors right now. But other than that, yeah, I don't know anything about that. Yeah. It's probably might have been another one of those situations where... Uh, we got ahead of ourselves. I don't know. Twenty-five points in forty-six AHL games in his second season, in his first full season, actually looks pretty decent. Yeah, that doesn't look too bad. No, no, and he's still young. Mm-hmm. Give him time. Give him time. Unlike Burroughs. That's true. Although we didn't have to give him that contract, we can all admit to it. Yep. Yep. So Tim, do you want to start talking about Johnny Oduya again? Yeah, he's real. Yep. NHL insider Elliot Friedman reported in a recent column that retired NHLer Johnny Oduya is expecting to suit up for the CM Hockey League in Thailand. Oduya played 14 seasons in the NHL, recording 41 goals, 149 assists for 190 points in 850 games with New Jersey, Atlanta, Winnipeg, Chicago, Dallas, Ottawa, and Philadelphia, where he won two Stanley Cups in 2013 and 2015 with Chicago. Thailand? I know, right? I didn't even realize they played hockey in Thailand. 
Yeah, it's like, what the fuck, dude? At the same time, it's like, I guess if that's where he wants to lace him up and the weather's nice, I guess. Yeah, so he has that to look forward to. Yeah. Although it barely gets really muggy there during the summer, but, you know. Yeah, I know I had a, one of my buddies that I work with used to do professional MMA down there. Okay. And he said that really muggy. Yeah, there was one of the guys in my grad class that he was an MMA fighter in, like, the Philippines or Thailand or one of those places. Really? Yeah. Uh, do you remember Matt Percy at all? Yes. Yeah, apparently he fought in, like, that part of the world at one time. Yeah, you can make a de- you can make a pretty good amount of money doing that. Mm-hmm. Even at the amateur level, too, you can... I mean, you're not going to make UFC money, but you're going to make a decent bit of money anyway. Oh, my buddy paid for paid off all his student loans and paid off his grad school doing it oh did he really yeah solid so tim we've got three national predator trades to talk about and we're gonna start off with the new jersey devils have traded brian boyle to the national predators for a 2019 second round pick boyle recorded 13 goals six assists for 19 points in 47 games for new jersey this season now this is a deal made in the in light of what's going on with austin watson and the uncertainty of whether or not he's going to be coming back anytime soon. Hmm. And it's not a terrible pickup either. No. He's been pretty solid in his own end. It's just pucks seem to go in when he's on the ice, and it's not like he's even letting in bat like high quality shots either. I think he's just kind of unlucky. Right. Uh, he's still he's still producing at like a, four, a third line fourth line level. Okay. So good pickup. Don't mind the cost. No, at first I thought that was a little high, but then I looked at his stats and I was thinking, you know, he can get 20 goals. Like, that's not a big problem for him. Like, that's probably where he tops out is 20. But if you're looking for a just a solid rental that can get you maybe 10, 15 goals, then that's fine. But I don't know. I was just kind of iffy on the second-round pick. But I guess with Nashville being higher up in the standings, it doesn't really matter because it's a glorified third at that point. Yeah, pretty much. New York Rangers have traded Cody McLeod to the Nashville Predators for a 2020 seventh-round pick. McLeod recorded one goal in 31 games for the Rangers this season. McLeod sucks. I don't know why they picked him up. Good on the Rangers for getting a seventh, even though it'll probably be the last guy in the draft. Like, Oh, probably, man. Now, that's all depending whether or not they win the Stanley Cup or not. Yeah. Yeah. I have nothing good to say about this guy. Well, let's move on to the next story, and hopefully you have some good things to say about this. Nashville Predators have traded Emil Pedersen to the Arizona Coyotes for Ford Laurent Dauphin and Adam Helicroix. Pedersen recorded 11 goals, 20, 22 assists, and 33 points in 49 games for the AHL's Milwaukee Admirals, and Dauphin recorded 6 goals, 14 assists for 20 points in 34 games for the AHL's Tucson Roadrunners. Laurent Dauphin's not good. Like, he doesn't contribute to shots. He often... He can't enter the zone. Uh, he often gets hemmed in his own end. And, yeah, not many points. I'm not really sure on this pickup. But... Well, hopefully that maybe Because he's playing in Arizona, right? And a lot of the pr- prospects that ever played in Arizona generally haven't had much success there outside of, say, a Clayton Keller or an Oliver ekman Larson. Because you look at guys like... Even Max Domi, right? Max Domi is killing it right now in Montreal. And uh, who's the other guy there? Dylan Strom. He's killing it in Chicago right now. So good on him. And maybe, maybe it's just not the right system for prospects. Maybe. But yeah, it's just... He's not good. Or, or he's just been brutalized at the NHL level. Mm-hmm. But he's also... Again, he, he is 23, so perhaps we have to give him a bit more. True. Be interesting, I guess. Yeah, because look at Dylan Strom, right? Mm-hmm. I never got the Dylan Strom trade, honestly. No, it looks like Chicago is killing it right now with him. Yeah, like, I, I'm i surprised that Chiaka gave up on Strom so early. Yeah. Philadelphia Flyers have traded Dale Weiss and Christian Fullen to the Montreal Canadiens for Byron Frozy and David Schlemko. Weiss and Frolin recorded five goals, six assists for 11 points in 42 games, and two assists in 26 games, respectively. 
And Froze recorded 14 goals, 16 assists for 30 points in 46 games for the AHL's Lavelle Rocket, while Schlemko recorded two assists in 18 games for the Canadians. I think Schlemko is an underrated defenseman here because he's one thing he's very good at is defenseman stuff. Like, he's good at getting out of the zone. He's good at breaking up entries. The only thing he's kind of bad at is getting into the opposing zone. Okay, so he's more of a stay-at-home defenseman is what you're trying to say. Yeah, he's actually, but he's actually a good stay-at-home defenseman. But, like, while Dale Weiss has been weak this year. Mm-hmm. And even when we were talking about that story about the Flyers play-by-play guys and they were saying that they don't know why the Flyers are keeping him around, they should probably get rid of him, and looks like the play-by-play guys got their wish. Oh, that's true. But one of the interesting things is Dale Weiss is always, whenever he's played in Montreal, he seemed to be better. So they're going for a known quantity. I guess for them, hopefully it works out. Yeah, because Dale Weiss had a pretty... He wasn't a superstar or anything, but he had a decent enough career in Montreal where he scored some timely goals in the playoffs. Oh, for sure. And he probably fits in on in their top nine, probably their bottom six. Mm-hmm. The WWE made a stop into the Canadian Tire Center in Ottawa for a live show on Friday night when they tweeted out a video of wrestler Braun Strowman hitting Baron Corman over the back with a goalie stick with the caption, Hey, at Senators, if you're looking for a defender, at Braun Strowman is your guy. He just has a problem with slashing. Now, given that this is the third line focus war episode, Tim, I saw this and I was like, yes, I am so including this. Timely and wanted. And he'll probably slot in on our second line. Yeah, because, you know, given his stick work, he looks like a, a better version of Mark Borbieski. Yeah. Very sad. I know, I know. Well, let's talk about the Ottawa Senators to close out the war zone. Ottawa Senators have traded Max McCormick to the Colorado Avalanche for prospect Jean Christophel Boudin. McCormick recorded seven goals, five assists for 12 points in 20 games with the AHL's Belleville Senators and one goal and 14 assists for Ottawa, while Boudin recorded six goals, seven assists for 13 points in 42 games with the AHL's Colorado Eagles this season. Honestly... This is just Ottawa looking to roll, re-roll the die on a guy that they don't see a future with. No. I don't really get why they signed the one-way contract anyway. No, it's kind of a weird... That's, yeah, it was kind of a weird contract. But maybe they were thinking that he was going to fit in on the fourth line. And when we actually saw what he did on the ice, we are just like, oh, I don't think he's really that worthy of being up here. Maybe we should bring up a... A Batherson or a Shalapic or one of those younger guys who can actually succeed at this level. So maybe that's why they thought that. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm not. I was always sort of a, of a defender of Max McCormick because I saw what he brings to the ice. But given that Brady Tachuk plays that style and plays it great, by the way, I can totally understand why they traded him to Colorado. And I think passable fourth line centers are a dime a dozen. Mm hmm. There's no use keeping around a guy who looks like he's at best what he's going to be. Yeah. And trading him for rolling the dice for maybe something better. Yeah. So, really, I have no comment to make regarding that story. I think it's an all right trade. It is what it is, and there's nothing else we can really say about it. Yeah. I think it's pretty good. I think it's a good enough trade by Dorian. Yeah, that's fine. Okay, Tim, so we got to go into our final story. And, you know, it's been a while since we actually talked about... Oh, fuck's sakes. Yes, we got to talk about Eugene Melnick again. I wasn't expecting this outfit. To be perfectly honest, I'm actually... I actually kind of forgot that I used this as his theme song for a while. Listen. It's so fitting giving this the third line plug is War episode, Tim. Yeah. Honestly, it seems like everything's coming up eight. Hey, do you think maybe that's what Melnick said to Duchesne Stone when they asked for all that money? Was no chance in hell you got? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's no chance in hell I got the money. Is more like it. Fair enough. Ottawa Senators owner Eugene Melnick released a statement stating that he will spend the salary cap from 2021 to 2025 once the organization feels it has the pieces in place to return to being a contender. 
Oh, is... joy. We got two more years of this shit, Tim. You know what's even more beautiful is this came out in the middle of the first game we're going to talk about this weekend. In the intermission after the statement was released, no one on the sports panel, Sportsnet panel, believed him. Even Brian Burke is like, okay, he's not spending now. In three years' time, he's going to be not being able to afford an arena. Who thinks he's actually going to be able to pay this? Yeah. Like, Brian Burke is calling you retarded and that your statement has no credibility. You're really fucking shot. I know. It's really terrible. But, <clears throat> excuse me, when I was reading that, I was thinking, you know, the only reason maybe he's saying that is because with the Seattle expansion coming in, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but doesn't expansion teams, when they come in, they have to pay a fee to all the teams or whatever? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, so maybe that's what he's thinking about, right? Because he's thinking they're going to get all that money from Seattle when they come in in a couple of years. And maybe that's why he's saying that that's when he's officially going to start spending to the cap. Yeah, but at the same time, it's just... Really, dude? I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. And if you're not spent... And if you're not spending up to that point, you're not going to be... You just can't flip a switch and be competitive. You need to build towards it. You need to spend some money to get there. Yeah, because look, look what he did after our 2017 run, right? Like, he spent money to bring in a Duchesne, and that was about it. Yeah, not really putting any money into the defensive black hole or to keep tourists or... You know, other shit. Carlson. Yeah, it's... At this point, the statement has no credibility, and nobody believes it. And then he sent out his flunky the next day to do damage control, and it was even dumber. Like, before the Anaheim game, uh, COO, the COO comes on and drops some beautiful lines as, uh, you know, uh, in the 16 years that Melnick's owned the team, they've won 50% uh, of their games, which is uh, more than the previous owner. What the fuck does that even mean? Like, is that, like, the previous owner, or is that the, all the previous owners combined? No, the I guess I guess that's not true. They only had the one owner. Never mind. Yeah. And then other beautiful things like, uh, you know, even if they don't sign O, we still have to spend to get to, uh, get to the cap floor. Okay, you think that's an applause line for a team that's a fan base that maligns their cheapest shit owner? Yeah, we have to spend the minimum, so we're going to do that regardless of Stone or Duchesne trades. Like, what the hell? No, that's stupid. That doesn't make any sense to me, Tim. It doesn't. And this is what the chief of operations of the Ottawa Senators was saying on TSN 1200 Thursday night. It was ridiculous. I couldn't even listen to the whole thing. It was just too stupid. I actually didn't get a chance to listen to that, so I don't really have any comments to make on it. Honestly, you're better off for it. Okay. Well, Tim, given that that is the end of top of the hour, that means it's time to turn on to talk about the three games we got to talk about this evening. We've got the second round of the Battle of Ontario. We got the Sens versus the Ducks and the Sens versus the Jets. But before we do that, let's hit the music. Time to play the game. Time to play the game. Okay, Tim, let's start talking about the second battle of Ontario. Sens versus Leafs. This is a 5-4 Leaf victory. Le Sens goals were scored by Magnus PRV with two, Matt Duchesne, and Hudson Bacho. Leafs goals were scored by Zach Hyman, Andreas Janssen, some Austin fellow that we don't really need to talk about, John Tavares, and Morgan Riley. Shots for 44-30 for the Ottawa Senators. An exciting back-and-forth game throughout. Both teams took turns having the advantage, and not one team had all the bounces go their way, as both Ottawa and Toronto would earn their goals. I actually really got to commend Ottawa in this game because we, you know, we really played a really good game overall. We didn't... It was, it was a good game overall. And honestly, I felt we were deserving of the W, even though we didn't get it in the end. Yeah, I think Ottawa played the better game, and... Other than a few periods, like the opening 10 minutes where Ottawa came in, like it was, Toronto came in really hard in those opening 10 minutes, and then there was that part at the end of the second where Toronto scored three goals in four minutes. Mm -hmm. Other than that, it was the Senators game, and 
if you look at the if you look at pretty much every metric that's what you're going to see like Ottawa's Ottawa won most of the matchups they wanted the Shabbat line ate the Morgan Riley live a lot line alive the Matthews line other than the Matthews goal was awful like Matthews just wasn't in it and honestly kudos to CC and Lejoie for just keeping them out of the game yeah, I, and you know what's funny is that, and this is a theme that we're going to be talking about in the next two games, is that Ottawa seemed to play more of a run-and-gun style in these games. And I'm not sure if you noticed that, but I, I surely did because I'm thinking, you know, man, like they're really not playing a whole lot of defense. It's really like a run-and-gun Dave Cameron style of hockey that they've been playing. Well, it's it's they really put the screws to a Toronto team that stumbled so far this year. And part of that is... If you put pressure on the Toronto defense, it's going to break. Even with the addition of Jake Muzzin, it's been above average. Mm-hmm. This game, it looked terrible. Yeah. Like, Ottawa was getting beautiful shots all around, like all up tight to the net, and there was nothing Toronto could do about it. Ottawa got 43 fucking shots on net. I know. Actually, not two. They got 44. 44, yeah. Yeah, there's actually a couple of players I want to talk about real quick. Magnus Piarvi. Oh my god, two goals in that game. I thought he looked good. And this wasn't like garbage goals that he's scoring. Like, those were legit goals. Well, his first goal, like, the Toronto defense got dummied. Like, they were just not really, weren't really paying attention to their assignments. Pajot notices a triangle is formed between, I think it was between, uh, him, Smith, and Payarvi. So they connect to Smith. Smith connects it to Payarvi, and Payarvi's off to the races. Mm-hmm. And it's just a nice shot past Anderson. Absolutely. And even Thomas Shabbat, I thought he looked awesome in this game. Like, the guy was jumping into the play. He was making plays happen. He scored a goal. Like, he looked like the Thomas Shabbat we saw in the first Battle of Ontario this year. Mm-hmm. The only The only thing you can really kind of knock him on is uh there are a few unfortunate mistakes that ended up in the back of his net the morgan riley goal that's what i was gonna say yeah the morgan riley one but you know what in fairness to shabbat there's not much he could have done on that given how how much bigger morgan riley is compared to him all he can do is try and just get the puck away from him and he i don't want to say he caught him flat-footed almost but you know, you could just not see him trying to get at it and couldn't catch him. It was a weird hop, too, so it's like, you can't really blame him for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, honestly, like, the Senders were getting a lot of great chances, and in that second period, it easily could have... The Sens easily could have been up more than they, they were. Mm-hmm. And that's like, the one thing that I, even I noticed in this game, is that even though when we were down 4-2, to two, we were never out of this game. Like, the guys dug deep... They got in there, they tried to tie it up, and they did tie it up, but it's just unfortunate that Riley got the, what would be the game winner. I just want to quickly talk about Brady Chishak as well. Even though he only had one assist, I thought he looked good in this game. He was getting in Toronto's faces, and the one play that I know a lot of people who follow the analytics side of hockey wouldn't really notice was that he made a really smart play to tie up Tavares in front of the net on the Thomas Shabbat goal. Oh, yeah. Well, that's just what he does is he gets it he gets in front of that net and just causes havoc and the fact that he was able to tie up one of the best centers who's in the league who's like eight or nine years older than him bigger than him mm-hmm. it's really it's gonna be terrifying to see what happens to Brady Kachuk when he gets stronger I know and hopefully we can keep that kid around because man he's so exciting to watch and he's been a really treat to watch this season yeah the other thing that I noticed is just, man, that Nylander line was quiet. It really was. But you know what? You can even say that for both sides. Because even after that first period, even though both teams played a decent enough game, you could tell the urgency wasn't really there. It was just like, okay, yeah, we'll make passes, we'll try and do whatever, but we're not going to come full tilt right at you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like... Honestly, Toronto kind of mailed it in. Yeah, this is a, this is another game where I think that they sort of played down to their competition because they see Ottawa, 
they look at their roster, they see where we are in the standings, thinking, okay, okay, we could totally beat these guys. And we almost came back and beat them. Yeah, and I think we probably deserved that win. Absolutely. Uh, Craig and... Anderson, 25 saves, a .833. He actually looked really good in this game. Now, the thing is, if you look at those stats and be like, oh, you know, a .833 save percentage, only 25 saves. But you know what? You look at the goals that Toronto scored, none of them were bad goals. No, especially like especially the two that Marner was involved in. Mm-hmm. Because those were just cut across the crease, boom, dead. If I'm, a tr- if I'm Toronto, I'd be very worried about both this performance and Toronto's performance on Hockey Day in Canada, where the Habs took them to overtime. Like, Toronto doesn't play well within the division. They get killed by Boston all the time. Yeah. They're going evens with a wild card team. They're split with Ottawa. And Tampa exists. It's going to be hard. If they keep, if this is what Toronto looks like going forward, he might not even make it out of the first round. Again. Even like the best GMing in the world isn't going to stop. This is the thing. It's like, what the hell's going on with that team? Like, they have a really, like, their first D line should be really good mm-hmm. with uh, Riley and Muzzin. And then you've got probably the best top six in the NHL and arguably one of the best coaches in the league and you can't get it done. Yeah. And like a GM who's able to get value everywhere. Like what the hell's going on? Like at this point, the Islanders have more points than the Toronto Maple Leafs. That's true. And the Islanders don't even get to feast on shit teams like Detroit and Ottawa. No, no, that's true. But even in that uh, division that they're in, like they're, it's a tough division because you've got the Flyers, you've got the Pens, the Blue Jackets, and to a lesser extent, the Devils. So they're not in like a bad division. And I wouldn't even call our division that terrible. But yeah, I don't know why Toronto doesn't seem to do well in our own division. Yeah, and it's going to be funny that whenever like this really beautiful window they have closes and they weren't able to do anything with it because they just couldn't beat Boston. I know. If and they get ho- and hopefully that's the after that window closes, that's when our window opens and we go on to win the Stanley Cup and become the team of Ontario. Yeah. It'd be beautiful. But So yeah. Tim, I don't have any more notes to talk about this game if you want to go on to the second game of the evening. Um no. Like I think we can talk about Ottawa playing what might legitimately be the worst team in the league. Let's do it. Ducks versus Senators. This is a 4 to nothing Senators victory. Senators goes recorded by Matt Duchesne with two, the real American, Brady Tuchuk, and Stone Cold Mark Stone. Shots were 45-34 for the Ducks. Ottawa outplayed Anaheim for majority of this game. With a surprisingly energetic and tight-checking first period, Ottawa began to outplay them in the second as Ottawa began to greatly outshoot them. Anders Nielsen, man. 45 saves. He gets a shutout. And I'm actually going to poo-poo a little bit on this because even though I'm really, really happy for him that he got the W, he got the shutout, many of these shots were not tough for him to make as Anaheim favored shooting from the outside. Well, it's, they didn't. They weren't getting anything better because one thing I've noticed about the Senators of late is they've gotten a lot better at getting into the lanes. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just because they're skating more. Yeah, um, and we even noticed that in the Toronto game. Yeah, and it's going to come up again in the Winnipeg game. But uh, what's interesting about this game is uh, the first period was mega fucking boring. Yeah. I'm glad I didn't watch it because, like, did you, like... I didn't have to watch it because I was watching better hockey. It was just lackadaisical, lackadaisical for both sides. Like, not a lot of skating, not a lot of shooting. And Sense Twitter was not happy. It was just the most boring thing they'd ever seen. And I'm inclined to agree. Now, in fairness, in fairness, now I'm going to be probably the minority here, is that I think this was actually a better game than the previous game that we had played against the Ducks when we were in Anaheim. That's fair, because after the first period, the Sens came out and just blew the Ducks away. Mm -hmm. Because even in that first meeting when we were in Anaheim, neither team was energetic. 
Neither team were skating. It was just pass, pass, intercept, pass, pass, shoot. Oh, it's in? Okay. Here, yeah. it's like, we'll make the pass, we'll move around, we'll do stuff. So, I don't know. I'm probably the minority. I think this was actually a better game than maybe even since Twitter gives it credit for. I don't think what you've really said kind of justifies what they've said. Because, like, I think at the time, those late games in Calif- in Los Angeles mm-hmm. were recognized as boring as shit. Yeah, but they're playing against teams in California where their game is more emphasis on the physicality, not speed. And they're playing against teams in California whose uh, player composition emphasizes on suck. You know I'm right here. <laughs> Let's go on to talk about Matthew Shane because with two goals, I thought he had a really solid game. He really did. And as much as Anaheim's vaunted defense kind of crumpled, just he got in, got close, and made some and made that beautiful shot right in front of the net, past the goalie. Awesome. It always seems like it's been a cliche for me to say this all season, but the Tuchuk White stone line was solid once again with two goals. And that's actually something I haven't been able to say over the last couple of weeks because I I don't know. I don't know if you maybe noticed this. I haven't really noticed them over the last couple of episodes, but in this game in particular, I really noticed that they were able to get it going. Well, the Sens in general were really fighting it lately, and I think it was just when that line went cold, there really wasn't much left in the tank for the team yeah other than the continued good performance of bobby ryan and uh, you know what i actually got that in my notes bobby ryan also looked pretty good he had actually had a couple of really good chances there was that one rush where he had where he was deking out everybody and he tried that little move to get it in there and i was like yeah. oh man if he could have scored on that that would have been the highlight of the night right there yeah it's a shame that he didn't convert on that because he you always see that Bobby Ryan still has the hands. Yeah. Well, I mean, until they're broken, but he's just not really fleet of foot enough. No, and that's why that he was, when you look at him during his time in Anaheim and he had all those points, maybe that's why, because in the Western Conference, especially in the in that Pacific Division, excuse me, is that you have a team like Anaheim that was so focused on the physicality and more of a defensive play, and you have the offensive players like a Getzlaff, a Perry, uh, even a Silverberg nowadays. So when you see Bobby Ryan come out and play for an East Coast team where now you have to play more of a two-way speed-based game against teams like Toronto and Tampa Bay, you can kind of see that Bobby Ryan doesn't have the feet to deal with it. But I do agree, he does have the hands. And we saw that on that one rush. Mm-hmm. And, like, he'll never be fast, but I think it's it's a shame he has that contract that he has, but... I think he's a guy that you kind of keep around because like you can teach he can teach players how to use use hands and he's always work he's always working hard like now that he's not as afraid as of completely busting his hands if he gets touched by anything mm-hmm. he's really going into the corners absolutely one guy who quietly had a really good game with two assists was Chris Turney yeah he's one of those guys who's always quietly there yeah, and he's been like that all season because if you remember when he first came to Ottawa and we didn't really know a lot about him and then quietly he began putting up points and we're all looking at us going, whoa, like Chris Tierney's like kind of leading in points right now. Like where the hell is this coming from? Yeah, and I've got a feeling that it's just we didn't really, you didn't really see what he was capable of, truly capable of doing mm-hmm. in Santa. Although... He's not the greatest at defending. No. But some might be an artifact of the players that he plays with. Yeah. And actually, I do want to say one thing about Tyranny, and I know that with the return of Jean-Gabriel Pajot, there has been some rumblings on Sen's Twitter that Chris Tyranny could could be possibly moved at the deadline because it just seemed like with Pajot back in the lineup that Tyranny is now fourth-line center. Because if you look at center right now, you've got Duchesne, Colin White... And Pajot. And you can and you can even slip in Mac Zach Smith there. Yeah. So yeah, I wouldn't be too surprised if in a couple of weeks when we do our 
I imagine we're going to be doing another draft deadline episode, but I wouldn't be surprised yeah. if he's one of the guys that ends up getting moved. Yep. It'll suck because he has been a very solid player for us, but you know what? If he's getting sunk in the depth chart behind guys like, like I said, Duchesne, White, Pajot, and then you look at the guys in the minors, you know, like a Logan Brown, and you're talking about Zach Smith, so maybe it could be beneficially for him to move. It would suck. But if it helps him, hey, I'm all for it. And it'd probably help us too. We could probably get a third a third or a fourth for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, quickly, I just want to talk about Thomas Shabbat. Again, looked really good in this game. Two assists, number of really good rushes, and some really good scoring chances to boot. Yeah, I've been really happy with Thomas Shabbat this season. Like, that goes without saying. But this week in particular, he's been playing very, very good hockey. Mm-hmm. And the one thing Hopefully. I've noticed since he's come back from injury is that I don't know if it's maybe a confidence issue with him or Guy Boucher is sort of putting a tether on him. But since he came back from injury, he's, he hasn't really jumped into the rush a whole lot. He's been playing more back, trying to defend. He's not making the moves. And one thing I've noticed in this week of games, he is really jumping in the rush. He's getting in the corners. He's making plays happen. And we saw that in this game and also in the Toronto game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if they're going to... they got to let him work his magic. And... Because the Sens are better when he does. Absolutely. So, Tim, and do you have anything you want to talk about in this game, or should we head on to the third and final game of the evening? No, no, let's go on to the Jets. All right. Jets versus Senators. This is a 5-2 to two Senators victory. Jets goals are scored by Brian Little and Brendan Lemieux. Sens goals are scored by Mark Stone with two, Ryan Dezingle, Matt Duchesne, and Zach Smith. Shots were 46-32 for Winnipeg. A mixed game, a mixed bag game overall, despite both teams playing a running gun style, which was pretty even. Winnipeg pulled away with their offensive attack, however, strong goaltending from Anders Nielsen and with most bounces going to Ottawa, would not give Winnipeg the victory. So I guess we should start talking about Anders Nelson. 44 saves, a .957. I agree with Adam. Like He was really the reason that we ended up winning this game, as Winnipeg did play a very, very strong offensive game. Although, I think some of that score effects, because once you go up 4-0, sorry, 4-1, you take the foot off the gas. True. But and even I think still, that... I mean, but even when we weren't up 4-1, you can tell that Winnipeg was trying, trying to uh, move ahead of us. Yeah, well, I don't know. It's like, the Sens were up 2-0, took the foot off the gas, Brian Little scores, and then Ottawa comes back, puts two more in, and then goes away. Like, this is a game where Winnipeg kind of came out of the gate, then wasn't rewarded for it, kind of went away, Ottawa takes advantage of this. They try to come back 2-1. Then all of a sudden, Mark Stone and uh, Matt... Like, Mark Stone... Like, they draw a beautiful, beautiful penalty drawn. Mark Stone capitalizes on it immediately. Then Duchesne a minute afterwards. The game's done. Yeah. The Sens are just skiing downhill after that. Yeah. Let's quickly talk about the UFAs of Duchesne, Stone, and Dezingle. Because they all play great in this game. But for my money, and I don't know if you agree with this, but I feel that Matthew Shane was the best player out of the three of them. Even though Mark Stone had two goals. Well, he was just all over the ice, and he's really burning that speed into your brain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's... It's going to be rough if... Like, if Duchesne walks or is traded for a pretty bad return, or you, it's going to be rough. It's a shame because I really do like Matt Duchesne. I really like Matt Duchesne too. And you see it in the, even in this week and even last week where you can tell he's really putting his foot, like his pedal to the metal. He's going all in. He's making plays happen. And he's resulting in him getting some goals. Yeah, no, he's played fantastic. Mm-hmm. Another guy who I thought had a somewhat solid game was Bobby Ryan. And I thought he looked pretty good to start. However... After that first period, I didn't think he was all that noticeable, and I'm not sure if you noticed that too, but from what I was seeing, that's how I looked at it, was Bobby Ryan looked good in the first, and then sort of disappeared after it. Yeah, although he did end up getting that assist, which is nice. Mm-hmm. But then again, like the sense kind of just disappeared in the second any After their two goals, they kind of disappeared. True. 
Although like, Thomas Shabbat did play well with one assist. And he like did. I was saying in our last game, he was jumping in the play a number of times, making some moves happen. And it's really nice to see that he finally has the confidence back once again. Yeah. No, it's fantastic. And it's just hopefully more good things to come from Shabbat. Uh, yeah, this is definitely one of those games where Winnipeg's been sliding something awful lately. They're still on top of their division, but their division's kind of bad. Yeah. But they just haven't been able to get the performances they've wanted. Yeah, especially at Patrick Laine, who has been just so snake-bitten over the last several games. Yeah. And, like, it's weird because Winnipeg, a lot of Winnipeg exit, like, they are shooting a lot, but they weren't good if they were in tight they were missing but for the most part they were they were shooting from far out Mm -hmm. like this is just i don't i don't think winnipeg played that great and i feel like ottawa did a very good job of disrupting winnipeg by preventing them to go into getting into the lanes they were wanting and forcing them to shoot from pretty close to the blue line like i think the senators played very well so I don't really have any more notes to make on this game if you want to head into the close, Tim. Uh, before we go into the close, if we have a bit of time, do you want to talk about uh, how Drake Batherson's been in the A? Uh, let's have a look here. Um, Actually, you know what? Let's save it for next week. Let's save it for next week because I know that we're going to be really talking about how well those guys have been playing down in the A. Because there's a few yeah. guys. Batherson's been good. Logan Brown's looking good. Yeah, I think we should save it for next week, Tim. Yeah, yeah, totally. But it it's good. If you have a chance, go watch some AHL tape. Because mm-hmm, I know that their game today was on TSN2, but I didn't get a chance to watch it. Mm-hmm. First of all, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Third Line Plug is War episode of the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I hope you've enjoyed it, because believe me, Tim and I love recording it for you. You can find us on iTunes. Please listen, rate, and subscribe. We're on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash thirdlineplugsensecast. And because our bot Dave made the mention, we're on Google Play Music. You can find us on Twitter at Third Line Plug is our Twitter handle. Tim is at M91 Honey Badger, and I'm at Great White Gipster, G R 8 W Y T E Gipster. If you want to shoot us an email to talk about the episode, or you just want to talk about how well Tom Shabbat has been playing, shoot us an email, thirdlineplugsensecast at gmail.com. So, Tim, for next week, we've got three games on the schedule. We have Tuesday. The Carolina Hurricanes play the Senators in Ottawa. Thursday, the Ottawa Senators are in Detroit to play the Red Wings. And Saturday, the rematch between the Sens and Jets in Winnipeg. It's a pretty tight schedule, but these are games that the Senators should win. Hopefully getting them out of the cellar, because we know Anaheim's still digging that hole. Absolutely. Until next week, guys, I am your host, Taylor Gibson. And this has been Tim Jensen. Go Sens, guys. Yo, Adrian! I did it! So long, my time here is up. They're going home!